Welcome to the 99%. I am Jesse Vondracek. I've got Elliot and Marilyn with me today. I'm already sweating because this is going to be a heated debate. <laughs> I'm excited about this one. We already started the, the debate before you put record and I said, <laughs> we just need to record this. <laughs> I, I apologize. That was in jest. I don't think it was. was but that's okay. you, did you know I was about to say something really <laughs> dumb before you hit record? Anyways, all right, I'll be quiet. Let you do the intro. All right. So last week we talked about laying out a race season. We talked about how you might set it up, what your season plan might look like. Maybe some weeks out from races, you might want to like space things. So if you want to get a general idea, you should take a listen to our last podcast before you listen to this. Because on this podcast, we're going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into like the day-to-day, week-to-week, nitty-gritty that you want to use to kind of structure that period of time leading up to your races, after your races. And um, to use a word to describe that kind of in-the-weeds, nitty-gritty stuff, we're going to talk about periodization of that, of that time. So... <laughs> to start us off on periodization, before I get any more names called, we're going to let Elliot give us a general definition of what periodization is, say to him. So general periodization, I'm going by like, this is what I learned in my first exercise uh, physiology class, you know, on the first day of college or the first couple weeks when you're an ex-phys major. It's just the first block you're doing endurance base work right aerobic work whatever you want to call it there's not any real intensity it's your foundation the second block is more endurance work you start building into some tempo work or low end tempo or just below threshold work and maybe some neuromuscular work whether that's strides running high cadence work uh, big gear work stuff like that the third session sorry the third segment would be like hills, a little more intensity, an introduction of actual race pace, often with more rest, because you're just starting to get to those paces. The fourth section is usually race specific, often it includes time trials or just more duration at race pace and that then the rest, the rest interval gets less and less. And then finally you rest up, you taper, and then you get to your race phase. So that's, that's standard periodization traditional if we're Tradi- yeah traditional and this is just the definition i'm not saying this is the way to go but that's how i would define it and i think that's how most people generally think of the standard periodization you going to make fun of me now i am not going to make fun of you i <laughs> would just say that i i agree with everything you said as a definition of standard periodization i would say that when I learned standard periodization also talked about some sort of undulation between say three weeks on or three weeks progressing and then one week of recovering um, or, or two to one based on kind of what you're reading. And, and that was kind of built into that. So you might do say like four cycles of that in your endurance phase and then like three or cycles in the next phase. And you kind of have that within that periodization of like uh, as stepping stones as you kind of work your way through. If we're, if we're just simply talking about like a, a definition of, of, you know, periodization, how I look at it more is, okay, we've got those main races that we talked about in our last podcast. We've got A race, B race, C race. So we, we work backwards. I look at blocks of training working backwards 
from those main dates. So whether you're working in three week blocks, four weeks blocks, six week blocks, that kind of thing from those dates. And then you, you need to, you know, we're talking about, um, you guys are cracking me up. Oh my God. You guys could see what these two are doing right now. I'm trying to concentrate while Jesse's his guns. I'm like, I can't even watch this. But you know, if we're so if we're just defining classic periodization, obviously that's textbook what you said, Elliot. But if if we're just defining periodization, I would say it needs to be structured and block training towards the A, the A race. And it's evolving and changing depending on what the athlete is gonna need. So that's where we'll also, as we dive into this podcast, talk about the different things like reverse periodization. And you've, you know, you just rolled out the um, classic periodization and just you're touching here on what that might look like in terms of blocks in the, in that periodization, three, three, four, you know, do you go, t there's, there's like a hundred different ways to lay it out, but more, I guess a definition would be changing and evolving training in blocks towards your A race is what we want to look at. So when people say periodization, it means you're not just, you know, looking at the year as one big blob and we hope that we throw some eggs against the wall and it sticks and we get to our race in good shape. So you're actually creating a plan that's in progressive blocks of training towards that A race. So if we're, you know, just for a general definition. I like that. Yeah. So it's, um, it's kind of dividing that time up in, in different ways uh, so that, you know, you, you get your, your a race, the fittest, and then like how you implement that is like, like you were talking about knowing when your a race is, and then say working backwards, that's like the implementation of said periodization. And I, I think that you did a good job taking a, a step back further from classical periodization and saying periodization in general is this, and all these other things that we're talking about, like reverse periodization or traditional, they're all periodization in some way or another. And, and so like, I think people so, say, go ahead. I was going to say, do you want me to just do the brief review of what's like the standard thought of as reverse periodization? Yeah. I just wanted to, to throw an umbrella out there that says like reverse periodization isn't like, isn't saying that traditional is like forwards and this is backwards. It's just like kind of the common name that got put on a different way to structure training. And I think a lot of people get caught up in like the semantics there. And I don't, uh -huh. I think it's just a name. And I just want to throw that out there ahead of time that like, we're not like saying one is like the standard way. It just happens to be called like traditional or classical. And the other one happens to be known as reverse, but they're both uh, in, in the end, just ways to structure that time that you have. Yeah. There are ways to block your training and go from working on one skill set to the next skill set that progresses towards the race. So, yeah. And that's uh, so reverse. Kind of, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I was just going to run through like the classical definition of a reverse because people hear like, oh, well, there's periodization and then there's reverse periodization. It's like, oh, well, everybody knows that one's better than the other. And anyways, like Jesse said, it's more just the definition. So when you hear reverse periodization, what does that even mean? It generally means that you're the first thing you work on is top end speed, torque, like high end torque or power on the bike, your turnover work. <laughs> and generally speaking, it's lower volume and the, the work you do, um, you know, it's, it's short bouts of high intensity work with lots of rest. And then the next phase tends to be hill, hill work and slightly longer bouts of speed work. So maybe you're doing 10 second intervals, 30 second intervals, all of a sudden that turns to a minute, minute, two minutes in the second phase, the third phase, you start to actually hit on race pace. Whereas in phase one or two, you're probably going faster than race pace. 
then all of a sudden you're doing race pace at the same time, your long workouts are getting longer and longer. So, and then in the fourth one, you start all of a sudden doing over distance work. Whereas in your classical periodization, if you can, I just realized people listening can't see my air quotes when you're doing the classical stuff. Um, all that over distance works coming first. So, and then of course the last, the last part of both of them is you rest up and you race. So speed before distance and the other one's distance before speed very shortly put. Well summarized. Well, okay. <laughs> and I guess since we're just kind of laying, laying the foundation here at the beginning, the, um, the third thing, which we kind of talked about is a linear periodization or doing somewhat similar to the same week over time and like how you execute that might evolve, but your week basically looks almost exactly the same throughout the whole year. And then how you, how you kind of attack that, like by that, I mean, you might do a three hour ride every Tuesday and the, um, the intimacy of that three hour ride might change over the year, but like every Tuesday you're going to go out for a three hour ride and then say it might have a short runoff or whatever. And then the intensity of that runoff might change. But if you just looked at like your time, it would look fairly similar for the entire period of time leading up to your race. Yeah. That's kind of like the repeatable or, I mean, Rob De Castell is a marathoner from Australia from back in the day, he was famous for like years on end, just doing the exact same week over and over and over. Like he always did eight, four hundreds really fast with a 200 float in between every Tuesday or Thursday or whatever it was. Um, oh, I wrote it down in my notes. It was Thursday. Um, and, uh, but so like his layout was, he ran easy miles on Monday. He did hill reps on Tuesday. He did a medium long run on Wednesday. He did the eight by four hundreds on Thursday, more miles on Friday. He either did a tempo. Usually it was a tempo. Sometimes he raced on the weekend and then he did his long run. He literally just did that over and over and over. Um, and we see that in triathlon a lot. I know Jesse, you've kind of partaken in that a bit as well. So when you say Keep partaken, it makes it sound like a, uh, this is like a bad party drug that I've partaken in. <laughs> <laughs> There's good party drugs. So no, maybe, yeah, maybe I, that out. I think, uh, I think I've, I've definitely, that's what I gravitate to for my, my own personal training is, is the Tucson, if you will, where there's like a master's group and there's some group rides and some groups that I run with and just kind of hit those every week. And then when it gets closer to racing, I kind of bend them to my will to make them what I need them for. And, uh, and that, that seems to work well. I know not everyone has city like Tucson around them, but I, I think that has, has worked pretty well for my own personal training. Um, I think what's interesting though, the comparison there though, like Elliot, you're talking about Deke's training where it was, it was literally the exact same training every single week. Um, but for most people who have the linear, the repeatable week, and I, I use that for myself as well, is that, well, one, you've got to really watch, um, chronic training load, like as far as getting too tired and when, when do you need to rest at some point? But then the other part of that was is- that, Was that a dig at me talking about needing naps earlier already? And it's <laughs> right? January 7th yeah, or something? Yeah, you need, you need naps in January. But then the other piece of that is that for most people, it's not as clearly like exactly the same like you were explaining, Elliot. It is like you explained there, Jesse, you, you were doing periodization within your repeatable week. And so I, I see that really- often most amateur athletes, their lives need to be 
you know, hey, every Tuesday works for me to do this on this day. I need to swim on these days. And so it might look exactly the same, the structure of every week and the actual length of time of each week, but you can periodize what energy systems you're working, depending on working backwards from your main race date within those, that repeatable week and and in within that structure. And you're just sort of doing, explaining that you're doing that naturally, Jesse, like you just said, hey, I just show up at the swim workout every week. I just show up at this, you know, this run every week, but then when it gets closer to my races, then I bend them to my will. And that means, you know, you're, you're literally creating a bit of a periodization on your, on your own. You keep flexing. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I think even with that strategy, most people do some form of changing the training. Cause the key thing with training is that, you know, once you adapt, if you don't change the stimulus, then you're not getting better anymore. Right. So you can't, you have to, at some point change, whether it's the recovery or the load or what you're doing within the sessions in order to keep getting faster. Because if you keep doing, you know, some people can do the same thing for six months and they need to do the same six months, same thing for six months to actually, you know, get the training effect they need. But once you've adapted and you've got that, if you don't make a change, that's when we start to see, you know, people plateau or they start maybe even going a little bit backwards. So I think it's important to remember that when we throw that, that model out there is that for people, you know, to, to consider that. Before I forget this, the whole reason for periodization in the first place is touching on what you just said. If you always do the same thing, you're not going to get any better right? You get better to a point and then you actually start slowly getting worse. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why periodization exists. You're shifting from one stress to a new stress. And these are different ways in which you can change your stress. What Jesse was, what we were talking about before the podcast started was like the two week on one week off, three week on one week on four week on one week off, or do you just not believe in that at all? Um, sorry, and- can you define what you mean by on off just so uh, on would essentially mean you're aiming to have stress, right. And being us uh, like overreaching, right. You're, you're pushing yourself and the off would be your training load is significantly lower than you can handle. So you're, you're beginning recovery from all your previous training. So, and, and when I mentioned that, why did both of you shun me <laughs> out of the room shun you i didn't shun you i just i just we didn't you. shun you but that's the that's why the pod started with me belittling all you. right so what, <laughs> why were you belittling me then let's let's go there <laughs> but because i think and i'm I, marilyn correct me if i'm wrong because i think marilyn and i saw via the zoom that we both kind of agree on this that the whole point of periodization is to change the stress and the stress is your daily training and training doesn't flow in seven day blocks. Right. And, and there's no on off. There's no, I don't really, I don't do off weeks. I do periods of time where people rest. I do off days. I do easy days. I do blocks of easier training, but an off week is often just too long. If you've trained so hard, you need a full week of recovery. Well, then you did some really dumb training. You know, you, you broke yourself. Um, I guess you can quote me on that and I'm sorry, but, uh, that's what I think. So uh, I don't know, Marilyn, do you want to talk on that a bit more? Yeah, I, I actually, I mean, I agree with that. <clears throat> it's, um, you know, it's sort of that it's a little bit out, 
it's not, I'm not going to hesitate to say outdated to use that model yes. where we go three weeks on one week off. And often what you find for most athletes, my experience has been that full one week off. Um, the, the deload of training is just a little bit too much. Um, so like you said, if you need a full week off, it really should be post race. And then you expect that much of a deload in training because then you're looking at rebuilding back up over, you know, 12 weeks or 16 weeks or whatever to your next event. So, you know, to me, it's going to look much more like someone might need a, you know, a 48 hour rest period, maybe 17, 72 hours if their training's really high. And when I say rest, I don't mean like for some people, it might be like one day sitting on the couch and then two easy days. Um, but for most people, it's going to be some form of active recovery. It might even just be a day off the legs for most triathletes. So it might be like a swim pull day um, and then like an easy day the next day and then they're, they're good to go again. So I think, you know, I've seen a lot of different models where it's like three days on, one day recovery. I've seen 10 days on, 72 hours of recovery. It really depends on the athlete. I've seen people roll, you know, pretty long periods of time before they take an easy day. But it's the main thing is that, you know, if you start seeing someone um, you know, they're just getting more and more tired, more and more tired, and they're not, they're not able to hit their sessions, then you probably just need a little reset. But like you say, the other part of the one week that I noticed, yeah, is that too much detraining, but the three weeks is often too long to keep it rolling for people. You know what I mean? Like if, if you're like, oh, you have to keep it rolling three weeks and someone's dead and you're married to that, well, then you might get to that point where you said like, it's, you know, it's too, it's gone too far. So you have to be able to recognize that and know when to back off. I, I think also the mentality, I, my biggest issue is when you have the on week and the off week, people really push the on week and they're like trying to grasp more than they need to out of every workout. Mm. And it's, it's not that simple, right? It's more nuanced. You have to be steady. Your workouts have to be maintainable. If you, if you have a, a race is a race and it's supposed to beat you up and take a lot out of you. So a race taking a full week recovery or two weeks, you know, if it's an Ironman, it might take a month. That's fine. Cause the whole reason you're training is, is to be perfect on that day and take everything out of your body that needs the recovery. But every other training session, if it takes more than three days, probably to recover, um, I don't really see how that's building you up if you're missing out on three days of training. So. I guess we talked about that in another pod as well. I can't remember which one, but. Well, clearly you guys have not recently completed your Ironman certification because they really, they, uh, they hammer in that, that three, one or whatever. Um, Do they really? They, they talk about it a little bit. I don't know. Well, it might be, you know, how many so people if, there if it's have... just like a reduction. So like, it, I think when, when people explain that now, they also might say like, I'm going to, you know, have three weeks of a very focused, um, like we, you talked about like endurance based building phase that might be, might need to be six weeks long for someone, or, you know, might be a real high intensity phase where we're working on short, fast reps for six weeks and, and see the training response. And then it's going to be an easier week, but that doesn't mean a week off. It just means a, a reduction in training load. So that, you know, I think we have to be careful. And when we say like three on one off that people might envision like a whole week off and it might just be, you know, a, a 15 or 10% reduction in, in stress that week. And they're still actually training quite a bit. So, keep so as well, there is one scenario where I I'm cool with the week on or two weeks on one week off. And that's essentially if you have like shift work. Like I've coached a pilot who essentially worked, he, he worked like 
eight days in a row, 12 hour days, and then got like two weeks off, that's a scenario where, okay, you're going to have an off week because you have no choice. Um, but outside of that, I don't know why you do it. Yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest issue with all this, right? Is that you get an athlete who's working and suddenly their weeks aren't enough stimulus to require that huge amount of rest, right? You just can't fit in enough training around like a 40 hour work week and family and obligations in order to require like a real easy entire week. And, and even if you could, could, that might not be the most productive way to go about it. Right. So, um, I basically, even though I brought up the topic, I agree that the entire week of rest is, is clearly not necessary in order to move forward. It's just kind of like one example that is, is often referenced. Um, I think sometimes for athletes, like mental side to, to say, okay, this week is a rest week, even if you just drop it down 10%, but they see that it's like a quote unquote rest week and, and they might just be able to like breathe a little bit more, even if they're only doing a tiny bit less work. Uh, it can be a good, like little, little mental breather for them, which, which can be nice. I also think that the thing to, you know, to individualize training and, and coaching for athletes, it's important to remember is that depending on the athlete you're working with and how quickly they respond to training. I mean, you know, I've certainly had athletes where they, they come into form really, really quickly in that race preparation period. And if we push to, you know, three weeks or four weeks within a race specific block, they actually would come into what I call race form a little bit. Like maybe they, maybe they only actually need like two weeks of that type of work, or it might be like six total sessions over five weeks, and then they're ready to go race. And so those are important things to remember that when we're individualizing training to know, you know, how quickly does your athlete respond to training? And you know, if someone's a slow responder and they need a lot of work and they need a lot of sessions to actually get that fitness in order to be ready to race, you need to know that. And if you've got someone who's a little bit more of a racehorse and they only need, you know, I've got one athlete, she really only needs like four really hard, fast sessions, and then we better go race. And so the, the whole time before that, I'm just holding her back, holding her back, holding her back. And, and I won't even let her, you know, she's, she's getting fitter. She's getting closer to race. She's getting a bit anxious and I won't let her do very many hard sessions. Cause I'm like, we need to do four of them and we need to do them really spread out the last one, you know, 10 days before her hard race and then go race and she's ready to go. So, you know, that's when it becomes important to really know your athletes when we're, when we're talking about periodization, that's sometimes hard to see for yourself when you're self-coached because we always think that we need more. Right. And, and so knowing like what number of sessions you need within those blocks of training, um, that's, if you're self-coached, that's going to take a ton of confidence to know when to back off and, and when to hold back. And, um, you know, it, that's just maybe even just have like a good friend that keeps an eye on you and says like, Hey, you're actually starting to come into pretty good form. And that's not your cue to go a little harder and hit one more of those sessions. That's actually your cue. Like I better hold back a little bit and save this for race day. Um, so, you know, that's, that's oh, I mean, I think to. those decisions are essentially the hardest ones to make, right. To, yeah. to really self-analyze and, and have a good perspective on yourself. Yeah. Not easy to do especially yeah. not if it's your first couple times around, but I wish everyone who's trying to do it by their self the best. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I've, uh, I've missed a mark on that one a few times where 
you get in your head, the more is more and, uh, push, push a little bit too, too far. Um, I've had a few panic texts and phone calls from you for that exact same reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, like you said, having that confidence is hard, right? When you, when you don't have someone else looking at everything to say, yes, you need to like slow down a little bit cause you're, you'll be good. Um, so yeah, I guess, but the point is more is not always more right. And knowing how to, how to slide those blocks in your periodization is, is really important and, and finding that out maybe over time and then kind of sticking with that. Like, so, you know, okay, I get informed quick. Like I don't need to, to work on that three months out and being, being okay with having a longer say base phase or whatever it is, is can be super important for some athletes. So the, so the sort of domino on, sorry, sorry, uh, Elliot, to domino on that, this is where, so if we look at like, okay, here's my A race and say we're looking at like four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, 20 weeks. Now, if you've got an athlete who is a slow responder, you might say like, we need to start scheduling these blocks of training all the way from 20 weeks out. Now, if you've got someone, you know, is a quick responder and maybe a little bit more experience or more years in their legs or all that thing, you might be say like, look, we're not even going to start these blocks of training or what might be focused periodization till we're 12 weeks out or, you know, even as close as eight weeks out. So you might roll like a real repeatable loose week. So there's different ways to sort of blend these types of periodization. You say, Hey, we're going to do, and you do, it sounds like you do this naturally, Jesse, we're just going to do a, a linear period, you know, repeatable week all for the next six months. And then once we hit eight weeks out from a race, then I'm going to get really, really specific to me. And so you can, when you're looking at these, when we talk about periodization in quotations, it's like, there's, there's not one set way, like, okay, I'm locked into the, the, you know, classic way I'm locked into reverse periodization. I'm locked into linear. It's like, okay, take a look at the type of athlete you are, how you respond to training, how many years you've been in the sport, you know, all of these types of things. And you might actually even sort of blend some of these ideas based on, on those markers to get you in your best. Cause the whole idea is that we need a training, we need training stress, we need recovery, and we need to make sure we come on in, into form for race day. So that's the whole point of all of this. Yeah. And that your stress, whatever stress you're giving them is specific to the race you're racing, mm-hmm. whether it's a bike race, a sprint triathlon, Ironman, et cetera. So let's talk about, um, how, how we use or don't use some of the, the standard models and, and maybe we don't at all. And and that's fine too. But like, so do you guys use reverse or classical or repeatable or linear with, with your athletes, or do you have a mixed bag? Do you have like one thing as a go-to, um, is it totally different? What do you, what do you got for me? So that's a great question. Cause when you're working with someone and you're pretty certain you're going to work with them for more than one year you're not just looking at a season or 20 weeks or 24 weeks, you're looking at possibly years. And that really changes the course, especially like in my case, I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of people who are really young in the sport and talented and then grew into old people, like older pros, if you will. Um, (laughs) Yeah. We all used to have less wrinkles. Um, And anyways, um, that changes. Right. And so how each year rolls changes differently. And often when I'm working with, with a younger athlete, I'm, I guess you could say 
more inclined to have them work <laughs> on their their top end speed and their torque because right there i'm more inclined to have them do reverse periodization like in their early career and the only reason is because the base miles that they do just aren't that high so they're not going to get quite as much work out of it and they as they progress in their career they almost start to then go into what you might consider more normal periodization because they finally got into the ability to work more and more and more um but all of that is also tends to be within the repeatable framework, like Marilyn said. And the reason is, is it's just easy to have training partners. And when you're training a lot, it's often easy to have that set week. Here's my week uh, and it's going to change, but here's my week for the next six, seven, eight weeks. And then maybe we change it in eight weeks. Can I, can I ask a question or clarification on that? So what you mean is like the, the younger athlete might not be able to say, just to throw out numbers on the bike, they might not be able to ride 350 miles a week. So like if they're trying to do a base like that, it's going to crack them in half. So they've got to kind of develop some of the strength so that they can handle an actual like larger base phase. Yeah. So if you're working with someone where 15 hours totally smokes them, right? 15 hours is a and, huge week. You might, and they're younger and speed comes naturally to them anyways. You might be better off have making sure that their skills are really well developed and they're just getting in the groove of training consistently. And you're not worried about hitting these big hours. You're worried about getting good practices down and making sure you're learning your skills when you're not too tired. And I think a lot of people get in that habit of like, Oh no, you just got to do miles and miles and miles. But generally speaking, the athletes I've seen who've started with tons of miles at a really young age, they're either kind of, you know, one in a hundred and they make it or they end up having chronic injuries and they lose their speed as time goes on case in point myself. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. <clears throat> I, I mean, that's, I mean, if you're going to developing an athlete, you definitely don't want to throw, you know, huge miles at them right out of the gates. It's going to take time to develop the durability to handle that. So <clears throat> I couldn't agree more with everything you just said there. Yeah. And I, before I forget, I just, when you guys were talking, I know, I know you guys are not wrestlers, et cetera, but no, I swear this makes sense. <laughs> Jesse is looking like macho man, Randy Savage. Um, and Marilyn is now flexing her guns. So for the listener, I just wanted to make a point. If you, if you followed like UFC or boxing or, or wrestling or anything like that, people have a daily repeatable routine in their off season and then they get a fight. And then they train eight weeks for that fight, which is exactly what Marilyn described in triathlon in general. Like you have your base week, you just kind of train, 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 and maybe you do two races a year. And then in those two races, you have your eight weeks where you're really focused on that race and you're doing specific training heading in. I don't think it's a surprise that the two sports have somewhat similar models, um, even though they're completely different sports. So I just wanted to throw that out there as like a, a how training, you know, training for triathlon, training for running and cycling and other sports, even, you know, soccer, et cetera, is all kind of similar. Especially when you have like that similar, like one, two, three big endpoints in, in the year, right? That's, that's what makes it so similar as opposed to something like soccer Correct. where you might have like an entire season where you're like, okay, you need to play a game every week for 16 weeks in a row or something. I don't know. I don't follow MLS. Yeah. But, yeah. That's a good, but, that's a good point. Like if you're a basketball player who's playing two or three times a week, their training has to be different because the, the competition phase is so long. 
I, I do have a kind of an interesting uh, case example of, of where reverse periodization, someone might see an athlete and say like, this would be the perfect situation for that. And, and with like less experience, like they would say that, but I was able to, to sort of help them through like that mistake and where I'm going with this is, and we are talking about like number of years and, and load um, and what you're able to handle. So this athlete had been like a, a, a top end athlete for like 20 years, you know, we're talking, you know, over 15 Ironmans in their legs, blah, blah, blah. So huge base, huge amount of miles, done a lot of work, done a lot of racing. So someone looked at them and said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do reverse periodization so that we can, you know, raise your ceiling, raise your strength. They were getting a little older, bring back some of that athletic um, top end, you know, snappiness, that slowness that sort of creeps in over time as you age and do long races, we're going to fix that. And then we're, you know, we're going to get you in more of an endurance and lengthen things out as we head towards the race. Now, saying all that, that might look like, yep, that seems like it would work. You look at the athlete, you look at that case, case study, this should work to the race. Now, what was happening is because this athlete had such an enormous base is every time they did the short, hard intervals within what I talked about coming into race form within three weeks, this athlete would come into race form and then fall off a cliff. And they didn't actually ever raise their ceiling. They just kept coming into form and then falling off a ledge and getting injured or getting sick. And so, and that's where people might say like, I'm going to do, you know, 30 second intervals. I'm going to do one minute intervals, all these types of things. So what I did, as I said to the athlete, I was like, actually, let's go ahead. We're going to, we're going to completely mix this up. We're going to, we're going to do strength stuff. And then we're going to do base stuff that's long. And then we're going to do speed stuff. And we're going to keep a, a, you know, sort of a amount of volume that was specific to the race that this athlete was doing. And with that, with, for this type of athlete, they ended up winning the race and it was a professional race um, and, and had, you know, set a course record and, and those kinds of things. So you have to really, this is where I say individualize and really knowing your athletes, because you might say, here's an athlete, here's a case study, here's reverse periodization. This is going to work. However, there's a whole lot of asterisks that come in with different types of athletes and what their history is, how they respond to training, all of those types of things. So I think it's good to, you know, as we throw these different ideas out there, use case studies for people to learn off of and then have a think about themselves and how, where they might fall into, you know, what they're looking for and what they, what might work, what might not. I, I love that example. It's like uh, old man strength, old woman's strength is like a double-edged sword, right? <laughs> and people say like, oh, so-and-so, you know, like I've heard old man strength, old woman strength. Um, and it's, it's like that thing. It's okay, you have this huge, a massive training, but you can also break yourself, which is what you're kind of describing, right? And, and so like, you can do all these things, but that doesn't mean you should do them. Because, and, and so sometimes your past history can be wielded against you if you're not careful and that again as we were talking earlier like that's why it's nice to have somebody sitting there being like hey you need to kind of tweak this a little bit or you might break yourself because if you don't arrive there healthy it's not going to work and that's the same thing with the rest week and as you change phases there's no set time to go from base to hills it's like when your body is ready and the more you know about that athlete then the easier it is to work backwards from that a race which is i more or less what you were saying before. Correct me if you're wrong. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that the biggest takeaway from that is you just, you found like a, a, a really good different way to structure that time for that athlete that works really well at getting them in race shape at the right time, right? So you're changing the stimulus and you're keeping the training rolling, but you're still just, again, like chunking up that, that period of time differently and, and probably differently than the athlete had ever had it chunked up before. So that total change in stimulus or even order of stimulus is, is, uh, is important in order to like kind of help that athlete progress in maybe a totally different way, even though they've been doing, you know, the same thing for say 20 years or whatever. Um, so that, that kind of change is, is a really important catalyst in all periodization. Yeah. It makes me think that like, as talking about periodization and maybe you're trying to write your own training or you're, you know, you're coaching your friend for the first time, you, you, want to give yourself, give the athlete a stress. And then the time to move on is not when the chart says it's time to move on. It's when they're no longer getting a large benefit from the stress. So once that's that benefit kind of is like cut in half, you can probably find another way to stress the system. That's going to help them. And all we're saying is there's a whole bunch of different ways you can stress the system and you don't necessarily have to follow one of the rules but you do have to know what the strengths and the weaknesses of that athlete are. And that sounds really simple to follow, but I think we both know that we're going to have to go through another 50 podcasts to fully explain that. Well, and that's actually, you know, leads me into, um, I had someone ask me recently, what do you think about, you know, setting a really, really formal blocked out annual training plan? And, and we like, put in there, this is like what, what miles we're going to try and hit, what hours, what training stress, that kind of stuff. And I said, absolutely not. I said, we're going to work backwards from our A races, B races and C races. And we're going to have an idea of these weeks and, and training blocks. However, especially for most people in the real world with kids and jobs and travel and illness and all these things, it's impossible. And it, it becomes such a head game for most athletes to see this. Oh, I was supposed to do you know, three weeks of this, four weeks of that, then I was supposed to rest here. And as soon as it starts, you know, changing and becoming like this evolving thing, it, it puts a lot of stress on the athlete that's unnecessary, as well as it takes away that freedom, what you're talking about, Elliot, as coaches to say, hey, you haven't responded to the training the way that we had hoped just yet. So we need one more week, or we need two more weeks at this before we get exactly what we want before we move on to the next thing. And then in turn, it also takes away that ability for us to say to an athlete, like, hey, actually, you're coming into race form a little bit too quick. I will need you to hold back here. Sometimes my athletes get frustrated with me because I'll say, like, no, 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 let's go a little easier. And they're oh, I can, I, coach, I can go faster. I can go harder here. I'm like, yeah, I know you can, but I want you to hold back here because we're coming into form a little bit too quickly. I'll let you know when to hold, let the reins loose, you know, and I, I certainly had to do that actually with horses when I was training with horses all the time. It was like, now's the time we need to hold back a little bit before we go. Um, so, so yeah, I think those annual training plans that, that um, they get sold because people like to sell them. Remember that this is also a business. So they say, we're going to sell these annual training plans and make money off them. And they tell athletes that these are a good thing to follow and just be really careful with that. Yes, we need a plan and we need periodization but be careful of that, you know, locked in annual training plan. I just, I literally, yes, we have a plan, but I would not do that with my athletes. It's just, to me, it's been kind of counterproductive. I don't know if you guys find the same thing. Yeah. I, I refuse to give anything more than broad strokes. 
for that exact reason. Like expectation is a bitch, you know, like you, you, you can have the, this is where the race is going. We're going to get you as prepared as possible, but what shape does that take? Well, it's the least resistance path, right? It's the stress that beats you up the least that gives you the most amount of speed and strength and endurance. And that's constantly changing. Um, but generally speaking, it makes sense to have a similar kind of stress repeated over a series of weeks and possibly months. And for your average person, you're probably somewhere between three weeks of that work and three months of that work before you have to change the stimulus. I think that's probably like the base of like, what is periodization? What are those like broad stroke rules that Jesse always wants? Right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what, what's your thoughts though? Like essentially like three weeks is a minimum three months is a max of doing any kind of training. And then if you change within that range, you're probably good. If you change earlier than that, you're probably not getting the full benefit. Yeah. I would say doing something for two weeks, it'd be pretty hard to, uh, to really, I mean, unless you're super fit and you only need like a few workouts before a race, but, uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that I guess the other exception is if you don't want to race for say 10 years and you can just really extend out that base phase or something. But, um, but yeah, for, for generality, I would say that's a pretty good length for, for different phases before you need to change in order to uh, like to respond well. Um, and I also agree with like the whole annual plan thing. I think that seeing it laid out, it might feel like a really good idea to athletes, but as you guys said, life never goes as planned. The way your body responds never goes exactly as maybe the person who wrote the plan intended. So unless you have like a massive amount of wiggle room, you're going to allow to give that plan, then it's, it's just going to kind of lock you into something that probably isn't going to end up being perfect for you. Um, so I guess, uh, more about reverse periodization. Have you guys ever used it like with an athlete exclusively? How do you feel about it as far as like, did it, did it get good results? Um, or do you think that having just that mix based on the athlete is the most important thing? And it really doesn't matter what you call it or how that flow goes. I, I actually, I think, you, sorry, I, I do we both jumped on it. We're like, Oh, we're both yeah, so yeah, excited yeah. about this topic. Um, I use it. I use it a lot. And I think where it's really a good idea is, you know, we've got athletes that are locked into winter for, you know, six months of the year and they're on trainers and it's freezing outside. And so to say to them, we're going to sit on the trainer in zone two for three hours. I mean, that's just, to me, that's pretty much, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it without, I think it's pointless. I think sitting on the trainer for hours and hours, dead zone two is you're really not getting much bang for your buck. And by the time the athlete comes out of winter, they're so burnt out. It's um, not only did they not get the most training that they could, but they're like mentally fried. So I think for most of my athletes that are in winter places and um, I, you know, definitely use a reverse periodization with them. It's just, we can do so much more productive work through the winter months. If we, you know, focus on really, really short, hard sessions inside and within what we can do now that might look differently on in the swim, you know, if we've got obviously COVID years a little bit different. So we might be doing like, a massive amount of swimming through the year that looks a little bit more traditional, but then on the bike, it looks like a reverse periodization. The strength might look like traditional. 
And then the run might look a little bit more traditional depending on the athlete. So there can be a blend there as well. Um, but I really, I don't believe in, in, you know, winter athletes who are truly in winter conditions spending, you know, five days a week in, in you know, trying to rack up 10 hours of riding on the trainer at aerobic base. I mean, I think you're just going to go crazy and you're really not going to get much out of that. So, so I use that a lot. Yeah. And the blending, I guess to answer your original question, I, I'm on board with Marilyn. I definitely have used it. I've probably used reverse periodization more often than I use like the classical standard periodization. Uh, the reason being I've coached a lot of people who lived in the Northern U S and in Canada. And it's as simple as that, right? There's colder, colder climates. Um, I lost my train of thought. Can I ask a, a specific question then? So yeah. ha have you guys ever used it on the run? Yes. But I would, that was what I, what I had forgotten. I often do reverse periodization on the bike and normal standard periodization, like Arthur Lydiard style periodization on the run simultaneously. So like one pyramid is building up and the other's building down. And that's what I was talking about with the blend. Yeah, yeah exactly. Especially so, on the swim too. Are you more likely to do normal periodization on the swim? Just depends on the athlete. I mean, yeah. you know, and their skin, their skill level. Yeah, I mean, a, a non-swimmer type athlete, we're probably never going to do a million miles in the water. We're going to just do a lot of short reps and quality. Um, you know, so yeah. so that's sort of like a a much bigger question. But for someone who, yeah, I mean, is a pretty skilled swimmer and can come into form pretty fast. Um, doing a lot of swim miles in the winter is perfect, you know, because we're going to get really, really fit. The impact's really low. Um, you know, we're, you're in the water, you're not worried about being, you know, hopefully if you're in a winter place, you're indoors. Obviously that's not an option right now with COVID, but in previous years, that's, um, you know, through the winter months doing something like a, a big swim block is, is I've seen that be really beneficial for people. Uh, Jesse, though, for reverse periodization on the run, yes, um, but I'm more likely to to do that with someone who I would guess I would say wants some stimulation in their workouts, right, like mentally, and is a newish runner. But if they're good with just easy miles and strides, I'd probably rather do that. But not everyone is coming from that background and, and it doesn't necessarily sit well with everyone's personality, which I totally understand. And often it's like if you can't get someone to run easy enough for their easy runs, then that normal periodization where you're just building miles in that first phase might not work because they won't run easy enough. And it's like, OK, well. Let's give them some short, fast stuff and say, okay, well, your warm up and your cool down has to be super easy. And then you're making like a mini track session, but it's very controllable. And it's something where you can give them something specific. So in that case, they're like less likely to hurt themselves because the other option is they just run a little too fast on all their easy runs. So I've used reverse periodization on the run a lot with my older athletes um, because we don't want to do a ton of running or a ton of long running until we just need just so many of them before we head into a long race. So if I have, um, and, and most 
most specifically with some of my older female athletes that have been doing it a long time. Um, I'll keep them fresh and real snappy and we'll focus on, you know, short reps, short hill, hill power reps, um, even something like 10 by 10 seconds, you know, just keep them, keep them athletic and moving quickly, but we won't do a ton of run miles all year. And then we do just enough building into the long runs that they need and just enough long runs right before their event. And that keeps them injury free and keeps them athletic. I find with the older athletes and especially like I say, the older female athletes, if we just did a whole bunch of long run miles all year and then tried to go fast, um, I found uh, my experience has been with that. I tried it and they, they ended up getting hurt and didn't actually get to their race, or they were just so dull and unathletic by the time we went to do the longer runs that we weren't working within their best potential for their age. So, so I would say like women over the age of, you know, and this is obviously everybody's different, but let's put a, you know, a, a paintbrush on it. We'll say women over the age of 50. I think that's a, that's a really good approach with the run if you can. I, I would stretch that out to include guys as well. And I, yeah, I, guy, I do the I'm same thing with the guys, guys too, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I've just noticed it. Like it's more magnified, you know? Yeah. That's right. So, but yeah, sorry. Well, thank you. Those were, those are great examples. Um, and it, it does sound like the it's, it is very con controlled and not like huge amounts of say like VO two or that you're just hammering where like, maybe you can get away with a little more of that on the bike, say in the winter, um, you're keeping that a little bit shorter and, and really just keeping people snappy in the winter on the run. Awesome. Yeah. I, I will say on the cycling front, if you were training just a cyclist and they have warm weather, I'm all for like normal periodization. Cause in bike racing, the biggest thing is endurance races are really long. If you're racing a hundred miles, you need a boatload of endurance. Um, and I think that's why when you see a professional cycling team, they all tend to follow like normal periodization. That's why their races are four to seven hours long, often day after day. So you need the miles. And, but again, the hard thing is, is for people that work a day job, if they just change their 12 to 15 hours of training and say, okay, I'm going to do all this slow, then they're just going to be detraining the entire base phase as opposed to doing anything productive because they're used to more stimulus than that. Right. Since they can't do five, six hour rides a week. Yeah. If you're talking about a triathlete, yes. If you're talking about just a pure cyclist, I would say it's 50, 50 and you'd have to get into their, their background. There's plenty of research that said like just doing that initial base work really works even at lower volume than just constant high end work. But again, it, it comes down to like, what's the athlete's background and how old they are and just how much, right? Do they have 10 hours available to just bike, you know, or do they have 12 hours? And, and that makes a big difference in the, in the outcome of that answer. That's a big percent increase. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm in the middle of reverse periodization with my cycling at the moment. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes this year. Hopefully I get a little more speed and, uh, and yeah but I'll, I'll let gotcha. you know in a few months. We'll be watching. <laughs> <laughs> your Strava's public. Those all the, most of your trainer rides. I mean, and, and you're, you're doing reverse periodization essentially because of childcare and COVID. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. true. <laughs> Real life. Well, uh, I know, but you're, you're like the example athlete we're talking about. You have limited amount of time. You used to be able to do a lot more miles. 
at this time of year and now you can't right and it's like how do you how are you going to get appropriate stress to to produce a change and this is the easiest way for you to do that because for you to get enough miles in to produce a change but you just don't have enough time you're like what 12 hours a week short so uh yeah that is true unless i wanted to like ride at night or something which doesn't really appeal to me um but I, I also am trying to see that like this could be a good thing since that was a weakness of mine is that higher power. So hopefully it will actually work to my advantage having a child and being a little bit strapped for time. Um, yeah, finger, fingers crossed. Um, anyway, that was, uh, that was fun. I was, I was hoping I was ready for a little bit more bloodshed, but that, that, was, uh, that was fairly civil. <laughs> we got that over with before it started. Ah, fair enough. Uh, do you guys have any more wrapping up thoughts you want to throw in the mix? I, I was going to say, if, if you want to like research like Deke or Robert DeCostella or just like re research like standard periodization or reverse, I think it's interesting, especially if you look into like single sport athletes, that, that would be maybe one of the best ways to go about it and just look through old training logs as an example of like what is repeatable. You maybe hadn't heard about that very much. You probably knew about it in practice before you listened to that, but he would be a really good person to, to look up uh, just as someone who excelled at a really high level with a repeatable training, but then also dig into some of the comments as to why did that work for him in particular. And Marilyn, I've talked about that earlier. So if you're interested in that, that's who I would hop on the internet and Google their old training. And then when, just to add to that, when you do that, really, really keep in mind, there's a huge difference between a single sport athlete and a multi-sport athlete, because for most people, we can't, we can't actually do enough of the one single sport for, um, you know, so, you know, take that into account, you know, someone like Deeks, he's probably running hundred mile weeks maybe even hundred plus mile weeks, week in and week out. And so that's a lot of running, you know, nobody who's not nobody, most, most people, let's say the most people who are triathletes are not running hundred mile weeks year round. Um, so, you know, same thing, if you're a pure cyclist and you're riding, you know, you just, all you do is ride your bike, you're riding your bike 20, 25 hours a week, year round. That's very, very different than a triathlete who might be training 20, 25 hours a week, but they actually only ride their bike 10 or 12 hours a week. So make sure that you remember to be specific to your sport as you, you know, research these types of things and, and it's good information and it's really, you know, educational and you really can dive into it. But um, remember if you're a multi when you'd apply these things, ask yourself, am I just a pure runner? Am I just a pure cyclist with some of the listeners may be, or am I a triathlete? So make sure you, you understand who you are before you take, take it too far. Yeah. And on that note, what, what is your training history and not just what is your training history in, in broad strokes, but like specifically in swimming, specifically in biking and specifically in running. And then what are those strengths and weaknesses? Cause I will change the answers 10 times over. And maybe include in there your injury history as well, because the last thing you want to do is end up injured, right? That's just going to take away from everything. Yeah. That, and that's essentially when I say like your history in those three sports, your injury history is the first thing you'd consider and, and what you could handle with that while staying healthy. So yeah, break up your training, have fun. And, um, we'll see you guys next time. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Fun conversation. Obviously a big topic that we could talk a lot more on. So, you know, good to just 
you know, get a lot of ideas out there and, um, you know, touch on some of the stuff, obviously, you know, we could talk a lot more and dive into a lot more, but, um, I think it gives people a good starting place. And if, you know, if people have questions, email us, make comments in the show notes, that kind of thing. And we can, we can dive even deeper into this stuff and more specifics on each one. We, we covered a lot of information here. And so, you know, we can, we can certainly talk about this a lot more if, if there's the interest there. Yeah. And if you guys do have questions or any other topics you want to talk about, feel free to reach out to any of us and uh, we can, we can chat about what, uh, what's on your mind. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys very much. Thanks. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Elliot. Cheers. See you, Marilyn. Bye. See you, Jamie.